Welcome to the debate from Newsweek. I'm Andrew Tallman, and today we're going to be talking about whether a restaurant has done something discriminatory in banning 10-year-olds from being patrons, whether drag shows are an appropriate place for children, Nikki Haley's impact on the 2024 election, and gas stoves banning again? We'll get into all of that coming up next with Ari Hoffman, host of the Ari Hoffman Show on Talk Radio 570 KVI and the West Coast editor of the Post Millennial, and Leslie Marshall, progressive, nationally syndicated talk radio host and Fox News contributor. Ari, Leslie, welcome to the debate. Nice Great to be, to be here. here. Thanks for having us. Great to have you. So if you woke up the other day and you happened to be browsing Facebook and came across the Nettie's House of Spaghetti, which I love this name, uh, in Trenton Falls, New Jersey, you encountered a post that said, Children under 10 will no longer be permitted to dine at Nettie's with a picture of a nice pile of spaghetti behind it and an explanation. They said, we love kids. We really, truly do. But lately, it's been extremely challenging to accommodate children at Nettie's between noise levels, lack of space for high chairs, cleaning up crazy messes and the liability of kids running around the restaurant. We've decided that it's time to take control of the situation. This wasn't a decision that was made lightly, but some recent events have pushed us to implement this new policy. As of March 8th, the day we return from our winter break, we will no longer allow children under 10 to dine in the restaurant. We know this is going to make some of you very upset, especially those of you with very well-behaved kids. But we believe this is the right decision for our businesses moving forward. Thank you for understanding. I think they described parenthood in a nutshell (laughs) with the mess and the chaos of it. But obviously, reaction has been, uh, well, contentious, to say the very least. So let's get into it. Um, Ari, what do you think about a restaurant that tells the kids they're not welcome? I think the restaurant's gearing up to go more high end, and that's why they don't want the kids. And all the controversy surrounding this is a non-issue. I mean, look, if you want to be a restaurant that gets kid money, you're going to put up with kid problems. But this really sounds to me like this restaurant wants to be a place for dual income, no kids. Somebody who's got a lot of money to spend on food wants to be a fine dining experience. Maybe their staff is ready to quit. And maybe their staff is saying, we don't want to put up with this stuff anymore. And now because you can't keep staff anymore and your staff is telling you they're going to quit, you're not sure we're going to get anybody else. I think that's what it's about. I don't think it's about discrimination. I don't think it's about anything else. I think it's people losing their minds over something that may be because of all those other factors. I particularly love that you use the full blown, not dink acronym. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Leslie Marshall, uh, what did you think about this? Well, I have two teenagers. I would have thought that they'd say no teenagers allowed, and that would make them very famous and popular <laughs> among those of us that have or have had teenagers. Uh, we can all empathize with that pain. Look, we've all been in places that say we have the right to refuse service to whoever we choose, and that is a right. You have a right to uh, do what type of business you want. You have that freedom. I support that freedom. Look, this could benefit them for the people that want a date night and want a night away from the kids. I have to be honest, when I do my girl trips, we always sit at the adult pool, not the family pool, because we want a break from our kids um, and our husbands. Right? But at the same time, this is their right to do. Uh, they, you know, it may benefit them. I, w- I would agree with Ari. I think that there is possibly another plan, which is they're moving away from a family style restaurant, perhaps, you know, into a more fine dining, you know, date night kind of restaurant. So, it, you know, they think they certainly know the risks. Every business cares about their bottom line. They know the risks that they're taking on. But, you know, they're a private business. It's their right to do it. Some people, the family members that have kids 10 and under are going to be angry and aren't going to go there. But I think they might pick up some clientele they didn't have uh, prior. All right. So let me push back a little bit since the both of you are pretty much in agreement. And I sympathize. But let me push back just a little bit. It's age discrimination. And we generally say that discriminating against people on the basis of their age is a bad thing. You know, uh, we don't like to discriminate in employment against the elderly uh, or even the aged. I mean, I would fall in a category where I start to be a risky bet, you know, for uh, somebody because I'm getting up there in age. And we certainly prohibit age discrimination in a lot of various settings. Why is it okay to suddenly say, well, we just don't like that age? I mean, what if what if, for example, let me change a little bit. What if uh, they decided to ban 60 year olds and up? Would you be okay with that, Ari? Well, it depends. Is it for the early bird special? Because then I think you'd have a riot on your hands. You can't do that. I mean, that would just make a lot of people very, very unhappy. But 
No, I mean, look, here's the thing. I don't think anybody should be discriminated against. I think everybody should be able to go wherever they want. At the same time, we have no shoes, no shirt, no service. At the same time, we also have limits of who can go to strip joints. We have limits of who can go to bars. We have limits on all this kind of stuff. Do I think it's dumb? Yeah. For me, when I was a small business owner, I never refused service for anybody. I'll tell this story. I'm an Orthodox Jew, a big supporter of Israel. And somebody one time wanted to pay, wanted me to operate an anti-Israel event for them. So, sure, we did it. We gave them the nonprofit discount to everything, and then we donated the money to friends of the Israeli Defense Forces. So I think it's really dumb to leave any money on the table. Everybody's money is green. But at the same time, with regards to discrimination, we're doing it already. We have discrimination based on age of when you can drive, when you can vote, all these things. I think that kind of becomes a non-issue when you factor in all that other stuff. Ari, Leslie, I hate to it? say Sorry, I, I hate I hate to say that I agree uh, with um, Ari here, but I'm into you know financially. I own two small businesses; one's bigger than the other. But um, you want the whole pie; you don't want just a piece of the pie. Uh, you know, two there is discrimination. For example, speaking of those girls' trips, um, there are resorts that don't allow kids 14, 15, 16, and under to go. Right? Uh, there are couples only places. There are adults only places. And there are restaurants that we wouldn't take children. And even though it may not be, you know, blaring, you know, it's clear they don't have high chairs. They don't have booster chairs. Um, you know, they're they're definitely more of an establishment that is geared, you know, toward couples. Um, again, a, a company has a company actually has a right to discriminate to a point. What I like about this company is they're they're being honest about it. They're not being disingenuous. They're putting it out there. They're saying, look. We've had this problem. This is what we're trying as a solution. We know we're going to lose some of your business and we hope to gain other business. Um, so, I, you know, it's not nefarious. So let me let me one more time try it from a little bit different angle, uh, because, you know, I'm I'm the guy who look, I love kids. I love the noise. I love the mess. And I also I understand don't. it's irritating. <laughs> it's annoying. I get it. It's annoying. And I'm the, I'm the parent who if my kids are misbehaving, we're leaving. You know, I'm not going to subject anybody else to my misbehaving kids. All of that put together. But I worry, frankly, I worry that we're developing a culture in which kids are no longer viewed as a good thing, as a norm, that making kids is something that you're supposed to grow up and do and that kids have a place in our society and that they're expected to behave when they're in the society. And I sort of see this as following along that trend of, you know, I want to be free from the difficulty of that next generation of humans, which we all have an obligation to help cultivate. Is it to I mean, to me, this is symbolic of a culture that says, you know, we're going to say we like kids. But we don't really like kids all of that much. Am I am I overreacting to this, Ari? Well, Leslie, I think Andrew's trying to make us pick a fight with each other here because I could go down <laughs> no, the abortion me. road. Fight, I... fight with me. Fight with me. I'm the one who disagrees <laughs> to some I degree. Could... Yeah, I could go down any of those roads. But look, for me, I have three kids. I'm one of 11. So it's not that, you know, I didn't want to have more kids. It's that at some point your wife gets to weigh in on that decision, right? So for me, look, I love having kids around. I do youth directing stuff at my synagogue and I want the kids around. I want the kids to be able to go to every restaurant. But at the same time, there are places as a parent, you say, I'm not going to take my kid there. or You say my kid's not old enough to go there. Like, for example, at synagogue, I am the youth director. And I say sometimes those kids are allowed when the rabbi is speaking. You know, sometimes you got to know that kind of stuff. I don't think the debate over whether people are having kids or whether they're being excluded from society is being solved by this one restaurant or being highlighted by this one restaurant. I think that the difference can be exemplified by my producer and me on my radio show, who he was very, very excited about this because he doesn't have any kids. And me, I'm like, well, that might be a little discriminatory, but there's plenty of other restaurants that you can go to. So I think that really this one restaurant being magnified on is like a symbolism for the entire culture. I don't know if that's really fair. I think there's bigger issues we could talk about. We could talk about abortion. We could talk about what's going on in China with how many kids they restrict you to have. We could talk about all that stuff, but I don't think this restaurant is it. Leslie, no, Andrew, I, Andrew go I'm going to I'm going to agree with Ari. I, I think they um, I, I don't I don't think that this restaurant and this issue with regard to children is the mountain to die on. I mean, if we really care about kids, why are there 500,000 on the blue books that can be adopted tomorrow? Hmm. Uh, you know, and I have two children, one's adopted and one's biological. Um, and secondly, my best friend lives in um, the UK in, in, in London, and she used to live in Italy. And I'll never forget this. When I didn't have children, she was pregnant and she already had a child. And we went to dinner. They didn't have a children's menu. They didn't have special chairs for children. And um, a lot of countries around, you know, uh, in, in, in the world don't have Disney World and things like that. 
I think American culture beyond caters to children, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have children's menus. We have, we have hotels attached to Legoland and SeaWorld that are not, they're very kid friendly. If you've ever tried to sleep in one of those bunk beds, right? And, uh, you know, I, I don't see, uh, I hear what you're saying, Andrew, but I don't agree with it at all. Um, because I think if anything, the United States more than any other country in the world bends over backwards for our children. My best friend told me when I had children, remember, you don't change your life because of them. They become a part of your life. And we don't live that way. We change our lives in the United States for children, and they don't become a part of our life. And this restaurant is basically saying, we're not going to change our lives for the children. We want them to become a part of our life. And then to your other point, Andrew, you are the good parent that brings the kid out. I think we've all, all experienced those parents who seem to be deaf to the screams and and, and I'm going to exhausted quick, beyond wait, the point. And of I know I know you respond. want us to be I know you want <laughs> no, us you're to good. You're you're good. be pithy in our comments. But I'm going to tell you a quick story. We used to go. Uh, I came from a poorer family and um, we used to go to this one restaurant every Saturday night. It was a Italian restaurant and the uh, owner, Mr. Balzano, he knew my family. And one day, my brother, who used to do this a lot, he liked to throw meatballs that have lots of red sauce across the restaurant. And one day he hit this lady with this white suit on. My father didn't have a lot of money. Mr. Balzano told the lady, I will pay for it. My father went up, my mother, everybody, and I'm mortified, right? And I'm seven years older than, you know, my seven, nine years older than my brothers, respectively. And this one, seven years younger than me, he was the meatball thrower. And Mr. Balzano said to my dad, Richard, you are welcome here anytime. This is a family restaurant. If she doesn't like it, you know, she can leave. But there are other people, and I don't blame them, myself included at that time, who don't want my brother Rick as a child at restaurants. And there are plenty. Sorry, Rick, if you're watching or hearing this. Uh, um, but uh, there, there, and he has he has three children of his own now. But you know, I have two children, and and one is like the Tasmanian devil, and one is an angel. You know, and and we all you know have different types of children. And even if you're the greatest parent, sometimes you have an out of control child that can really ruin another person's dining experience. And that's not fair to them. And by the way, uh, I very much agree with you. First of all, I think it's interesting to, to kind of think about this problem culturally, because Americans do very much cater to children in a way that uh, though there are a lot of sort of traditional moralists like myself, uh, when we look at traditional societies, children are not the equal, not the peer. You know, they're supposed to be seen and be heard only when talked to, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's interesting that the same people probably who would complain about this being a hostile for children, environment and families are also the ones who like to lament. Oh, kids these days don't know how to respect their parents and behave. Well, you can't believe that the kids are out of control on the one hand and then turn around and get upset when a restaurant acts on kids being out of control. On the other hand, there's really a kind of, you know, consistency of this. So, no, I, I'm not a, quite as opposed to it as uh, I may lie. Down. And by the way, uh, I don't know who made the point, Ari or Leslie, but this is one restaurant. We're not at a place where you can't find eateries for children, right? If we were, if this was the, the last of the three known places in America where children could eat, we might be having a different conversation, but we're certainly nowhere near that problem right now. When we come back, I'm going to hold you to all your answers because we're going to talk about the same but completely different topic, children attending drag shows here on The Debate. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
Welcome back to the debate. I'm joined today by uh, Ari Hoffman and Leslie Marshall. And as you guys know, drag shows with kids has kind of become this flashpoint issue, uh, even to the point where armed defenders of the drag show have showed up in one case. Obviously, we have a horrible mass shooting that took place in another example. Some people are saying that this is sexualizing kids and exposing them to strip shows. And other people think that this is a perfectly normal and healthy expression. And, you know, kids who might struggle with their own identity need to see this kind of stuff. Let's start with this. Uh, 14 bills in eight states have been filed targeting drag shows. Is it appropriate for a legislature or a state to try to control whether kids go to drag shows. Leslie, let's start with you. No, I don't want the government telling me how to raise my children. It's not something I would take my kid uh, to see necessarily, but I'm not trans. I don't, and I don't dress in drag. Neither does my husband, neither do my children. Um, I don't know as I don't have a trans child or a child who dresses in drag because not everybody is, you know, gay or trans that, you know, likes to cross dress. I don't know what I would do, you know, in that situation. But I, I do know what the the, the, the courts have ruled and the uh, Constitution says. Um, the Supreme Court ruled that some forms of new dancing express erotic uh, messages, uh, but they are still worthy of First Amendment uh, protection. Now, drag shows don't involve nudity, by the way. Uh, they're characterized more so by costumes or performances expressing a different uh, gender. Uh, where it gets into the gray areas is if uh, somebody views this uh, to be obscene because, you know, obscenity is not covered uh, by the First Amendment, you know, and that that's where, you know, you can get into the weeds. But I get annoyed when you have and sorry, Ari, people on the right, you know, who say less government, you know, I don't want you know less government. I don't want you in my bedroom. I don't want you telling me what to do. Don't tell me to wear a mask or to lock down. But damn it, I'm going to tell you how to raise your children. Uh, no, I don't like that at all. Well, I'm curious to hear what Ari's response is. I actually expect he won't be in that that camp, but I'm always curious <laughs> to find out. Uh, Ari, your first thought about this move by some states to you know prohibit children from being able to attend drag shows? I'm convinced the only reason you guys invite me on is because of the curveball aspect, because you never know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, I certainly hope that's true. Go ahead. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to give you the exact same answer I gave you with regard to our previous topic with the restaurants, right? We have places where kids can't go. We have strip bars where kids can't go. We have regular bars where kids can't go. We have all these places where kids can't go. I don't care what Leslie does with her kids. I don't care what these people do with their kids. I like to take my kids to Comic-Con. And at one point, I realized Comic-Con is a lot of revealing clothing there. And maybe they're a little young to be seeing some of this kind of stuff. That's a me decision. That's something for parents. For me, I don't care what bar is offering a drag show. I'm just kind of curious how all of a sudden the kid can't go to the bar on a regular day, but now there's a drag queen story time. Now the kid can go into the bar. I am curious about that. But leaving that aside for a minute, my issue with the drag shows is one is when my tax dollars are paying for the drag show. I don't think my tax dollars should be paying for strippers at libraries. I don't think it should be paying for drag time story hour. I don't think it should be paying for any of that kind of stuff. If we have the rules that are limiting what's there, what's not, then they should be applied evenly, not just because there's some new whatever they define themselves as that wants to do a show there. I mean, think about it this way. If I decided I want to do a reenactment of the entire Passover story at a library, people would go ballistic about freedom of speech with regard to religion. Can you have that in a public place? Should tax dollars be paying for that? And I know it's a very, very extreme comparison. But with regards to this, for me, from the conservative angle, you want to do whatever you want to do. Fine. I do not care. But stop using my tax dollars to do it and stop bringing into my kids education. Oh, come on, Ari. When has a tax? You show me a bar that tax dollars are paying for the drag show. The drag queens would love to have state and federal tax money. And may I just point out that those states that have enacted that legislation have the worst educational systems, have extremely high teen pregnancy, extremely high homelessness, extremely high crime rates. So my thing is prioritize. Get your house in order. The drag queens aren't the problem. I would leave my I would let drag queens babysit my kids before I would let irresponsible gun. So then Leslie, let me just ask you this, because Seattle Public Library does these events all the time. Those are literally my tax dollars going to it. Do you think I'll agree with you there? It doesn't need to be. But at the bar, which is what you mentioned, no, 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 the bar, I didn't say tax dollars. I'm not saying my tax dollars are going to the bar. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying we restrict if kids can go to bars. 
What I'm saying is if we have a standard that kids can't go to bars because alcohol is being served, then why are we having these things in bars and we're allowed to break those rules? I, I, I would just, and I, I would, and having, I think, by the way, having been in a bar cases, with my children, I, I would disagree because there are bars that after a certain time, it's adults only. There are also bars right. where you can, right. as a family, sit at the table and eat, but you can't sit at the bar unless you're 21. And I think in some of the cases, uh, particularly the high profile cases uh, involving the drag shows, it was actually a restaurant and not a bar. Um, So that might be, you know, relevant fact. But but no, it's it's a it's a great question of where do we allow the kids to go for, you know, in in kind of the previous conversation we were talking about, where do we prohibit kids from being able to go in order to make a nice space for everybody else? And in this conversation, it's where do we maybe prohibit kids from going in order to protect them from something, as Ari says, bars and strip clubs, the most obvious examples where we don't allow them. And we also we have tremendous protections for parental rights, right? We defer to parents on what kind of religion, what kind of uh, entertainment or information they get medical procedures, you know, all of that stuff. We defer to them on that. The question here, I think, is that people are wondering, and frankly, I think a lot of the critics maybe haven't been to many drag shows, and so they just don't have much knowledge in the arena. And so they think that a drag show is a strip club. Is Somehow in their minds, that's sort of the same thing or in the same direction. And I, I just, I don't think drag shows are stripping events they're not typically sexual they're more burlesques right they're not designed to raise eroticism particularly ari i see you disagreeing do you, do you see it differently it depends on the drag show and oh, no, I'm I not agree. An that's true that's, right. fair. I, that's I'm, fair i'm not an expert i just see the clips that circulate online and then i scroll past them because i don't really want to be looking at that i'm saying it that it really is a case-by-case basis and for me it's like i don't understand when these things are brought into schools what the educational component of it is that's the thing I have an issue with. I really don't talk about this stuff that much on my show. I don't cover this stuff much when I write for the post millennial. It's not my area of expertise because I don't really have a dog in this race. My one thing is really, why are we spending taxpayer money on this kind of stuff? That's the thing. And in Seattle, we are. That's the issue here. I don't know what's happening in the rest of the country. I don't know what's happening in some of these other states. But for me, it's really an issue of why is taxpayer money going to this kind of stuff? Because if I said I wanted that taxpayer money to start going to teach about Judaism or anything like that in the schools, you know what the reaction would be to that. And I'm drawing this comparison specifically to illustrate why do we say it's okay for it to go to one thing? Why do we say it's not okay to go for another one? They're both First Amendment issues. That's where my issue is with all of this. And it really, like I said, with regard to the sexual nature of it, whatever's going on, it really just depends on each particular show. Last comments. Go ahead, Leslie. When you talk about taxpayer money, I went to a public uh, school and I had history of religion was in my senior year. I was allowed to take an elective um, for history and I took history of religion and we were taught about all the different religions. So I don't have a problem. To me, knowledge is power, right? And sorry to be cliche there. Um, I want my kids to know about all these things. I'm not a teacher. I'm a parent. Um, And, you know, certainly I choose, you know, where my kid goes to school and I can have some, not 100%. Obviously, I'm only one of the parents say uh, regarding the curriculum. You know, what I think it comes down to, Andrew, um, just as a human being is fear. I think people are afraid their boys are going to put on dresses. And I think people are afraid that their children are going to be gay or bi. Um, or want to identify as a gender other than the gender they were born. And um, this is all, it's very uncomfortable for people that are extremely traditional or conservative or religious. Um, But the reality is, and I'm not going to ask either of you, but just answer amongst yourselves. Um, (laughs) The reality is I had two brothers who looked at Playboy The reality is I have a 15-year-old boy who I know has looked at porn online because I know what he looks at. Uh, The reality is I know that almost every guy I went to college with and high school went to a strip joint. Why? Because heterosexual men love naked women and gay men love naked men. We are sexual beings, right? And that's it. That's it in a nutshell. So I, I think it's kind of funny that you know, we're worried about the strip clubs and we're worried about, you know, the drag shows. That's not what we need to worry about. We need to worry about our children starving themselves because somebody on TikTok says that this is what you're supposed to look like. We need to worry about our children getting into cars with somebody who's been drinking and driving or they have been drinking and driving. We need to worry about them uh, taking a drug at a party that might be laced with fentanyl. These to me are issues that are far more urgent. No drag show 
no strip club is ever going to lead to my kid being in the ER or in a box that is put in the ground six feet under. The one thing I very much agree with you about, Leslie, is I think I think the drag show is being offered up as kind of a proxy for the entire transgender issue. Right. You have, you know, social conservatives who are very frustrated about what they think is going on with regards to transgenderism and drag shows seem like they're in that group, right in that category. And so it seems I, to a lot of them, I believe that they feel like fighting this is fighting that, and they don't know how to fight the one without fighting the other. And so they kind of fight them both because the entire subject matter seems interconnected. Go ahead, Ari. I would just say to Leslie, I hear every point you just made. The one thing is you said that you could take that comparative religion course as an elective. Whereas in the Seattle public schools, this stuff is part of the curriculum. For Black History Month, they have a whole lesson on the LGBTQ plus IA stuff, which is mandatory. And that's not an elective. And when we have the scores that we have out here in Seattle, where you're talking about the average student is below failing, where they lost three years worth of learning opportunity. And instead of going over the basics with reading, writing, and arithmetic, they're going over all the stuff. And I should send you this curriculum. I would love to get your thoughts on this curriculum, Leslie. We should connect afterwards, this whole thing, because I'm looking at it and I don't see a lot of educational value in any of the stuff in this curriculum, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of good stuff they could be teaching. I'm not going to judge where you send your kids to school. And I know not everybody has a choice. I don't agree with that. I mean, there's homeschooling and there's schools that are affiliated with religious organizations that, you know, basically say pay what you can, you know, especially if you have hardship. I do know, though, if you guys want a good laugh, that in sophomore year of high school, um, I vomited over the frog I was dissecting because I fainted the sight of blood. And Mr. Griffin, our biology teacher, who was a hoot and had the name Joe for the skeleton in the class, and he had a cigarette. He he put a joint in his mouth one day. It was scandalous, right? And you know, this was quite a few years ago. Uh, anyway, um, I was um, I was exempted from that part of biology because I couldn't handle it. I still faint at the sight of blood, even though I'm married to an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I just don't go to work with him. Um, and, you know, I think there you know, could be exemptions, especially uh, on a religious basis. You know, that that to me wouldn't be so hard to uh, to obtain. I'm becoming more and more jealous of Leslie's growing up experience. I mean, you know, her, her brother's looking at Playboys. She's vomiting over the frog. We've got a joint smoking skeleton in the closet or not in the closet. He's out. Right. I mean, you know, this is a fascinating closet, experience. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, for a lot of this, like we homeschool. And so I view a question of parental rights very much from the defensive lens of they didn't always allow us to do that. And I don't want to open up the opportunity for the state to start going back down the road of too much intervention in terms of what parents can teach their kids or expose their kids to. There are obviously going to be limits. Um, but unlike a lot of my fellow conservatives, this the drag show one just doesn't strike me as, again, that hill to really die on. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk about 2024 and the new wrinkle with Nikki Haley coming into the race here on The Debate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the debate. Uh, Nikki Haley, rather famously this week, declared that she is running for president. The reaction from the only other declared Republican candidate for the presidency, Donald Trump. In fact, I guess really the only other declared pres uh, presidential candidate, because Biden has not declared yet officially, is uh, a weird mixed bag of praising her for her willingness to be disloyal to him and formally <laughs> promising him that she wouldn't run. It's kind of an odd take. Uh, Governor DeSantis, of course, out of Florida, is widely expected to run, but has not declared yet. Uh, you've got a piece about this, Ari. What do you think this means for the Republican Party or the 2024 general election? 
So this is going off of one poll I saw, and we know how accurate these polls are, especially after the most <laughs> recent midterm elections, right? Right. So let's just say I'm going off of this one poll. But what the poll showed was that Nikki Haley is actually a spoiler for Ron DeSantis and that she would take some votes away from Ron DeSantis, thus enabling Donald Trump to get the nomination. But then in that same poll, it shows that Donald Trump loses a matchup with Joe Biden very, very closely, where it shows that Ron DeSantis would actually beat Joe Biden, not by a significant margin, but by a much larger margin. And this got me thinking, and I didn't elaborate too much on this in my piece, but you have so many Republicans who are ready to jump in. I mean, there's rumors of uh, Rick Scott jumping in already. I think he's already started leaking that, that he's going to be jumping in. They're talking about Mike Pence. They're talking about a whole array of candidates. And the question is, do each of those eat off enough of DeSantis's lead, especially given the fact of how many conservatives, how many Republicans moved to Florida from these other states? And that is something people don't talk about. And you don't win by 20 points in your reelect unless you get new votes from somewhere. And I'm sure he convinced a lot of Democrats. But at the same time, that's from people moving from New York. That's from people moving from California. What does that do to the national picture? So the question is really, does she really want that to be her legacy? Does she want her legacy to be, well, I cost the Republicans the election? And mind you, I'm a big Nikki Haley fan. I think that a lot of the hate she gets from the right is completely undeserved. I love what she did at the UN. I'm a huge, huge fan of hers. And the Babylon Bee phrased it perfectly. They said Nikki Haley launches her campaign to be vice president. I mean, we know what we're talking about here. There's really two names we're talking about on the conservative side of the aisle. We're not talking about really anybody else in that mix. And I'm just kind of wondering what the game plan is here. Leslie, your take? Well, I'm going to get popcorn for all of this because as a Democrat, it's really exciting for me to watch uh, the Republican Party fragment and implode. Uh, And uh, I would agree with Ari that Donald Trump will lose against Joe Biden again um, because he did lose the first time. Um, And and I do believe that, um, you know, not just that headline, John Bolton had said it as well, that Nikki Haley's running for vice president. And, you know, I think that's very true. I think this is going to be a bigger mess honestly, than everybody's talking about, and not just her throwing her hat in the ring. First of all, you had uh, alluded to, Andrew, the Mike Pence's, and then we know there's the Rick Scott's, and we know there's the Chris Christie's and the Marco Rubio's. I mean, the list, there'll be, what, 17 to 20 people on that stage, which Donald Trump will, one by one, personally attack them, their parents, their grandparents, their children, their spouses, and most of them, sadly, spinelessly, will not defend their spouse. My spouse would not be my spouse if he didn't defend me on a national stage. I don't care who your party is, um, including my own. Uh, but you know, having said that, um, it's it's going to come down to one person, right? There's going to be one nominee, and it's not going to be her. So, um, Ari, you know what? When you say, you know, does that want to be your legacy? Honestly, on both sides of the aisle. Most of these people don't care. They live in the now. They don't live in the future. They don't care about or worry about their party until the 11th hour. Um, you know, when they throw their support behind this person because they've now lost, which we knew they were going to all along. It's the, it's the same show. And I think Americans are sick of watching it, Democrat or Republican. You know, it's the same show. One thing I will say as a Democrat that I wish my party would take a page out of the Republican playbook is when you get a candidate, even if it was Satan himself, man, you guys get behind that person. You unite. Even Mitch McConnell said, I will support whoever is president. Even the guy who made anti-Asian remarks and nasty remarks about my wife. Woohoo. Um, so I I do I just, you know, I I don't think she's gonna win. But honestly, I don't know if they just like Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, she really doesn't want to pass legislation. She wants more likes on TikTok and Facebook and Twitter. Um, and that's sadly what some of our politicians have become uh narcissistic, uh maniacal egomaniacs who care about their own. Brand enhancement or something. Yeah. You You know, it's, it's really interesting because I never want to assume that somebody believes they really can't win. (laughs) You know, I, uh, cause we know in in past that people who have really had no chance managed to pull it off. Anyway, I mean, you know, people wrote Biden off at a point, right? Obviously. Um, so. And and Andrew, can I I jump in and say one thing to your point? Because there are names. I'll use Bill Clinton as one. How how many, or even a Sarah Palin. I know they lost, but you know, she was looking good at the beginning. Um, you know, as VP on the, you know, McCain ticket. There are those people on both sides that none of us know yet. Right. Right. And, and it, you know, we got a long time between now and the general election. But so when I saw this, uh, what I immediately thought was this is Donald Trump's dream. 
Okay, because the very best path he has to the nomination, putting aside the question of whether he can win against Joe Biden, which we've already had one election, but we also have a track record now for Biden that we'll see what that means. Uh, He wants to get the nomination. His best way to get the nomination is a big old Republican field. He keeps all of the Trump voters and they split up all of the other Republicans. And I mean, for beating DeSantis, Ari, you had it right in your article. The best thing he can do is not get Nikki Haley in, but get Nikki Haley and Rick Scott and Chris Christie and Mike Pence. I mean, he may not want to have Mike Pence up on the debate stage against him, but he desperately wants to have as many other Republicans in this race as possible because all he needs is the plurality to get the nomination. And so I'm going to tie this together with something that I saw back in the last election. You remember the arguments about the instant runoff or the um, ranked choice voting and whether that was appropriate and what it did in Alaska and what it did in some other places. And I saw President Trump um, or, you know, I guess Donald Trump at the time, former president, come out so strongly against that. A system that is designed to get you to pick between the two best candidates and then really pick who you want the most. And I thought, why is he so strongly against this? And it took me about a week to click it together that whether he realizes it or not, that system is the best way to prevent him from getting the nomination because it would force him ultimately in a in a head to head against somebody. And so I think this is all part of that same strategy. He realizes he can't or he has less of a chance of winning in that environment. You see it that way, Ari? Absolutely. And I think there's something else, too. We know that whenever Trump opens his mouth, the media jumps all over it, be it right leaning media, be it left leaning media. And what's going to be is. He called Ron DeSantis the sanctimonious. He called mm-hmm. him meatball. He called. So you're going to have all these headlines about it, and they're going to make him seem like the front runner. Plus, you have the Democrats who love this new campaign strategy that they were doing in the last election, which is elevate the person we think is most toxic, even if it means spending our own campaign money on that person, because running against them is a much better thing to do. So I love that they're elevating this person while calling them the devil themselves. While they're doing that, they're elevating this person, spending their own money on them. But yeah, you're 100 percent right. That is his path to victory, because if you put him up on a stage, just him and Ron DeSantis, it's just between him and Ron DeSantis. I'm going to say a lot of people who voted for him. I voted for him the second time, not the first. A lot of people who voted for him are going to say, I'm done with crazy time. This seems like all the stuff that he stands for, but less of the crazy time. Can we go that direction? And also, you're going to grab a few Democrats who are more moderate, who go, I'm kind of cra- kind of done with what's happening on the other side. I'm tired of the social media influencers, as Leslie mentioned, on our side, the Ilhan Omars, the Rashida Tlaibs, the AOCs. I'm done with all that. If we just get back to a more normal place. And Ron DeSantis may punch that ticket for them. I don't disagree with Ari on that point. I, you know, as a Democrat, Ron DeSantis certainly threatens me more than any of the names, including Donald Trump, that are out there. Um, a couple of things, though. Um, one, Donald Trump is going to be a real problem for you guys, because if he doesn't get the nomination, he's going to pull the same tricks he's been pulling since he lost the presidential election. He's going to say he won the nomination and that's going to throw a grenade into the process and into putting forth and putting the attention and putting the headlines on your actual nominee. That's my prediction. You can go to Vegas. Call me for more tips. Um, the uh, the uh, the other the other thing is that at the onset, Andrew, when you talked about process, a process that would not help Donald Trump, well, obviously it wouldn't help him. And that's why he's not you know in favor of it. And I do agree with Ari. I constantly will say on Twitter, even to my side of the aisle, stop saying his name, although to Ari's point in the midterm, putting a magnifying glass on an extreme candidate was successful for Democrats. Um, in the midterm election. And as we saw on both sides of the aisle, the more extreme candidates did not win. So I would agree with Ari that a lot of people, not everybody yet, but a lot of people, especially on the Republican side, are tired of the cray cray. I mean, you have I have a lot of friends that are Republicans, but they're Reagan Republicans, you know, or they're right. McCain Republicans. Um, and they're, they're, they they really thought that maybe as a businessman that, you know, he would have helped economically or whatever. But you know, they're, they're just tired of the cray cray. They're tired of the lack of decorum. Um, I even have Republicans that were ashamed of some people in their party at the State of the Union, as an example. They 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 don't want us to be the laughing stock of the world and they don't want people in their party or their party uh, to be the laughing stock of the world. So, um, you know, Donald, look, sorry, you guys created them. And you, you know, made him president for four years. He's now your problem. 
And we had um, some help from earned media, just saying. <laughs> and I know, but I do, I do want to agree with our Ari on that. And that's what I, I constantly say. But I do want to tell you a quick story where, uh, you know, there's two sides to every story, two sides to every coin, right? In, uh, I shouldn't say the year, but uh, my one of my first uh, talk radio jobs, my first one was in Miami, and I got offered a job in Buffalo, New York. And I remember thinking, Miami, palm tree sunny to Buffalo. Um, but I... It was a good deal, and uh, Buffalo's wonderful. I, I underestimated the city and the people, the architecture, anyway, the food. So I went, and I was on a station called WGR News Radio 55, and I was up against a guy, you may have heard of him, called Rush Limbaugh on WWKB Radio. And a consultant came in, and he said, I want you to say Rush Limbaugh's name at least twice an hour. And I was mm. always told, like, you never mentioned your competitor. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose my job. But this guy's the consultant for the station. I got to listen to him. Okay. In 30 days, I beat Rush Limbaugh in the first book, which is what, like 90, right? But like in 30 days, it was trending after 90 days. And it, it, Time Magazine, it was this big. You can look at it. You can go find it. This big, like three sentences, wrote about who was this girl. Leslie Marshall, who beat Rush Limbaugh. And I would say that uh, it was actually a very effective policy. If you're the second place or the up and comer, you know, picking a fight is an effective strategy. I mean, right, that's right. that 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 can work, as you say, contrary to what most right. people and, believe and, about. And Trump does radio, it, but so. it can, right. Trump does it, but it can be done with Donald Trump. So there's pluses or minuses to that because it can be a distraction or it can, you know, make more people join the MAGA bandwagon. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, switching gears again, we're going to talk about the threat to your gas stove and whether it has resurged and to what degree we should be concerned about that here on The Debate. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to the debate. Uh, In a discussion that we thought might have been over, you had this sort of premature announcement that the uh, Biden administration was going to put the kibosh on owning gas stoves. Everybody freaked out, perhaps appropriately so. Then there was kind of some walk back and Corinne Jean-Pierre had to say that Biden doesn't want to come for your gas stoves. And the moment sort of passed. Only now the Energy Department has said again, all of a sudden, that they are not interested in banning gas stoves, but interested in making sure that they are fuel efficient. And they're wanting to raise the efficiency uh, thresholds, basically, for both electric and gas based stoves in a way that makes us wonder if this isn't the other way of accomplishing the same end result. Uh, My question for uh, let's start with you, Ari. Do you feel embattled about the gas stove? Do you feel like the government is overstepping here? What's your reaction to the, even the idea of the government trying to highly regulate or restrict access to gas stoves? My first thing as a former contractor is why is nobody talking about hood vents? I mean, that, <laughs> if you're really worried about the gas stoves, let's talk about the hood vents. If it's not about the natural gas and it's more about, you know, the health for people, then that should be your first question. We have tons of zoning regulations. A lot of them I can't stand. But when you look at this kind of stuff, it's it's kind of a ridiculous argument. I mean, what, five years ago in Seattle, they were talking about, look at all our natural gas buses and look what we're doing, natural gas everywhere. And now they're like, let's ban all the natural gas. And meanwhile, they say they're doing this for clean energy. We have the New York Times out Joe Biden allegedly for blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. That's 400,000 tons of gas going into the water. We have this mess in Ohio with the train derailment. We have whales dying off the East Coast. We have the homeless problem everywhere where you're having all kinds of issues with the waterways and all the issues from the RVs spontaneously combusting. So I wonder where's the green crowd for all that? 
There was an article today that John Kerry sold his private plane because he was tired of being accused of the hypocrisy. The gas stove thing is really not the issue. The issue is, can we stop at the hypocrisy? If you're for green technology, if you're for stopping climate change, if you're for all that, at least be consistent. But really, what's this whole argument about? It is just a microcosm of this much bigger argument of, are we getting rid of stuff because it's virtue signaling? Are we getting rid of stuff because it's actually bad for you? Are we getting rid of stuff because somebody's making a profit off the other stuff? What's really behind all this? And I can't tell which direction anybody's going in anymore. Leslie? This isn't just about, and I know Ari wants to make it, his side wants to make it about uh, clean energy. This is about safety. I'm going to tell you something, another story. Um, my refrigerator after 17 years went kaput and we were uh, in a store buying one. And I got in a conversation with the district manager of the store who just happened to be there about gas stoves. And I said, listen, educate me. I'm not a gas stove specialist. You know, I'm just, I'm interested. And he said, let me tell you something that most people don't know. We've known this for years. I said, what? And he said, there, the, the gas stove industry has known for years that there is a less dangerous stove that puts out less gas into your home that we are all breathing and our children are breathing. And it doesn't have the blue light and the flame doesn't go as high. Um, they have more than a prototype. They've actually made it, but they never manufactured them. Because when they tested it, are you ready for this? The people always chose the bigger flame and the blue blue color flame over. So in other words, like the psychology of it, what they thought they what they thought was going to be better for them. Right, right. So so even though somebody was told this is safer and healthier for you, the consumers um, that were part of this, you know, research group, uh, this marketing research group were basically like, Nah, I want the bigger flame in the color blue. Okay, <laughs> so that's why they didn't make them. Um, it, so it's not just about uh, you know cleaner and greener. It, it's about safety, and I'm all about government, whether it's um, local or federal, um, helping us to be safer with things like that. Banning them, no, but improving them, especially with this information, which you can go look up, which I have, which is absolutely true. He wasn't wrong on that. Um, it is uh, to me, as somebody who has a gas stove in my home. I have two children. You know, I have an elderly mom that has survived, you know, COVID and pneumonia. Um, I, I want a safer breathing environment in my home. Yeah, I, I tend to see it sort of Ari's way in the, you know, why this and not that? Where's the consistency? And of course, the ever evergreen question of, you know, where is the energy coming from that powers the gas or the uh, the electric stove in the first place? Often, you know, from carbon producing kinds of sources. I view it as a resident of Florida. Uh, as you know, I, I have an electric stove. I would prefer to have a gas. My wife prefers the safety of electric. And so that's what we have. But I'm the cook. I would rather have a gas stove. I just think in crises, you know, when there's a hurricane, the power goes out, the gas is still available. You have the ability to use the stove, even in that kind of a situation. So I, I don't like the banning approach because I don't like telling people that they can't have it. I'm concerned when I look at something like this. I think it's going to be another version of the LED light bulb. You're going to pay you know, more for a light bulb that doesn't endure the way the old light bulbs did. I would love to be able to go back to buying four bulbs for a buck and you know, changing them when they go bad because I thought that was better. But instead, we've got this government that's, you know, hey, this saves you money and this is better for the environment and all this. I think, yeah, but the thing doesn't work well by comparison with what I used to have. Ari? I got an electric stove. My wife's always asking for a gas-powered stove. And we didn't do it for any other reason <laughs> than it was expensive to run the gas line to that part of the kitchen. That's why, why we did it. And look, talk about the entire restaurant industry, the entire restaurant industry. We've seen tons of representatives coming out going, we can't cook the same way without those large flames. So if there's an issue with safety, and I grew up with a gas stove, Leslie may say this is why my brain's a little off and I'm a conservative, but we grew up in the house. <laughs> I seem perfectly fine. All of my relatives seem perfectly fine. If there's a true issue with venting, we have zoning codes that can deal with this. Why are we now talking about getting rid of this thing? And also, if we're all switching over to electric, how do you plan on powering that? Because right now, the Democrats don't want nuclear. The Democrats want to knock down the dams because of the fish here in Washington, which is also selling energy to Oregon and selling energy to California. They don't want coal. 
the solar stuff isn't working the way they want it to, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, where we don't see sun eight months out of the year. And then you have the wind farms, which are throwing blades in Oregon and having oil spills. So I'm kind of just wondering if they want to move away from this. Show me the alternative that works, because it looks like we're stuck with this stuff for the short term until we find a better alternative sign that's more efficient. So then we should be figuring out if it's a safety issue, how to make it more safe, not just banning everything. And I'm for all for your other uh, gas stove, Leslie, if it works better and is safer. You know, <laughs> I mean, I will take that for sure. All right. We are just about totally out of time. But I did want to ask you guys one question, at least maybe two that are just a little bit more fun and light. It's something we try to do at the end of the show. So the first question I discovered today, a ginormous controversy. I was having this conversation with a friend. Here goes. I'll start with you, Leslie. When you cook spaghetti, do you break your spaghetti before you cook it? Yes. Why? Because my mother's Sicilian and taught me to do it that way. Really? Because it, 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 because it fits in the pan better and it's easier to um, uh, separate, including the olive oil and salt that you must put in there if you cook it. And then it's also a smaller piece you're losing when you throw it against the wall to make sure it's al dente. <laughs> And I so do the, do that. the 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 uh, the loss to testing is lighter. Your Sicilian mother. Well, because all of the stuff that I have seen is no, no, you must never leave it long. Ari, I make reservations. So oh, that would be me. I see. All right. <laughs> Ari, enough. being that I have uh, I have a Jewish parent and a Christian parent. May I just say half of me does, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the, the argument for like keeping it intact for not breaking it is they say that that's the way you, you know, you preserve the length so you can twirl it right when you're getting ready to eat it. But I don't need that much work with my food. The twirling just seems like surplus effort by me. And I don't want to work that hard for my pasta. I just want to stick the fork in and go and kind of make myself happy. The uh, the second one that I wanted to ask you for is um, <laughs> when you're getting ready to make cereal. Uh, are you both cereal eaters? Can I ask? Uh, I'm just that, that make cereal. Is that like make yourself? Yeah, I was a bowl, thinking that too. You, you open Seinfeld, the box, you pour it in a bowl. That's making it. Here's here's yeah. my question: Is there ever a cereal that's better without milk? Ari? I never have milk in any of my cereal. I prefer if I'm going to eat you the for the flavor. Just do. I know I'm one of those archaic people. If I'm going to have Frosted Flakes, why do I want to water that down with milk? I want to taste that sugar that's bad for me. How many times a week do you choke on the dry death bits that that stuff becomes in your mouth without the milk? No, as you can tell from my midsection, I have a giant glass of chocolate milk with it. I just have them separately. I don't mix them together. I want to enjoy everything individually. Leslie, is there a cereal that you'll eat uh, like Ari eats all of his cereal without the milk or it's better that way? I don't eat cereal, but when I was a kid, I did. And no, what are I we trying to do? We're trying to have a conversation. And I got people who don't eat cereal. Good Lord. I'm sorry. I just don't eat cereal. Um, right. I'm not a sugar person. I'm a, a spicy, salty person. I mean, that matches my personality. Um, I, uh, I, no, I would say that if you have it too long, like I'm really thinking like cornflakes, if, if you don't eat it right away with milk. But no, when I was a kid, the milk helped make the marshmallows and Lucky Charms like softer. And it made my golden grams feel like graham crackers and milk, which is what golden grams really is a ripoff of. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I ate it. I ate cereal with milk, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not a cereal fan. Yeah, I, I I just think that you're you're subjecting yourself to a certain unpleasant kind of torture when you take cereal without the milk. But Ari, that's fine. I mean, we can still be friends. And, you know, Leslie, even if you don't uh, eat it that way whatsoever. Well, great conversation today, uh, guys. I really appreciate it. Ari Hoffman, Leslie Marshall. This is the debate from Newsweek. We'll see you guys next time. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. <laughs> It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The Parting Shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.